0: And all that, and I tell guys nowadays, I said, look, I've done hundreds and hundreds of world title fights. It's not even about the fights no more. It's about the people I'm working with, the fighters, the trainers, the person, the things we're talking about now behind the scenes. Yeah, uh, there's nothing like it, man. These guys, you know it, they're modern day gladiators. Yeah, you know, but deep inside, they're all babies, and my job is to take care of the baby.
1: Yeah,
0: and and now you're talking about uh, Klitschko. I I hope you could hear this. So i'm doing the movie creed 3 right and maurice or their michael b jordan and the directors they come and ask me because i give them the authenticity who do we get who do we get to give away the wbc belt which is the green belt so the history i told them. i said look
1: it's and that was stitch duran today's guest on a fighter story his resume is gigantic I don't even want to start going over it i went over part of it in the episode but it's not even close to being done he spent countless years within the ufc he now works for bellator and he commissions out his services to many films as well as other fighters all around the world you know him you love him this guy knows what he's doing and he has a great personality i had a great time with him can't wait to get him back on in the future see what he's came up with in the interim but until then let's just go ahead and listen today to stitch duran on a fighter story with me rob childs that's who i am and here's the show i'm gonna shut up and hit play all right stitch took a minute but uh we got we got you on (laughs) i had some had some technical difficulties Um, For my listeners out there, everybody, I want to introduce you to Stitch Duran. He has got a long list of credentials, so I'm going to try to go through them. If you don't mind giving me a moment, you are most famous for your work in MMA and boxing. You grew up in a migrant camp in California. You started working at the age of five. You were in the Air Force, traveled to Thailand, fell in love with Muay Thai, you came back, you started a, uh, a gym, ASK, um, oh. you worked for a financial company, within two weeks you sold everything, moved out to Vegas to start your dream career, you're an author of From Fields to the Garden, you've been on Ultimate Fighter, if you've ever seen that show, you've everybody's seen you you're on pretty much everything including the creed series which i believe there's a third one coming out so expect to see you in that uh the rocky balboa movie you've traveled all over the world as a martial artist and a cut man following your dreams so welcome to my home thank you for your time uh it's truly an honor to get you onto my show um Let's uh, let's kind of take a step back and start all the way back at the beginning, if you don't mind, and kind of walk us through uh, what it was like growing up in the migrant camps of California, because that's something you you normally do not hear very often.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. hey. Well, first of all, man, uh, yeah, I see your your surfboard in the back, so thanks, yeah. man. Yeah, my man. So uh, here we go. So uh, oh, yeah, hi, thanks for having a nice, nice introduction, man. Best one I've ever had. But yeah, it's you basically kind of defined my whole life. And, uh, you know, I, yeah, I, I, but I grew up in the Central Valley of California, which is considered the agricultural capital of the world. And, you know, I always tell people, if you ate it, I, I picked it for you. You know, everything from uh, apricots to, I, mean, I could go down the alphabet and do them, you know, apricots, peaches, cotton, almonds, walnuts, figs, uh, grapes, <laughs> watermelons, cherries. I, I did. what I. I was a farm worker. My parents were farm workers, and and uh, I was literally born and raised in a migrant camp. And the uh, my address is uh, CPC number twelve for the California Packing Company, number twelve. Uh, but the way the system worked is is we would work for the person that owned the crops, the fields, the peaches, whatever they were and they would put up housing for us. So it's, it's a track of housing and, and uh, we lived there. Uh, my father was always the, the foreman. So he would hire people to work. And so therefore we had worked, you know, 20 to 12 months out of the year in the wintertime, we'd go and, and do pruning, you know, when the uh, the trees were dormant and get them ready for the following season. And yeah, so that's what I did all my life, A. Eh, Rob? And uh, that kind of inspired me to you know, just be the person that I am. I, uh, baseball was really my dream, is to play baseball every summer. We would, uh, you would have the migrant workers come from all over Arizona, Texas, New Mexico, Colorado, Mexico, and get guys that were playing baseball. And on Sundays, I'd get up and I'd go play ball with these big boys, you know, and and uh, walked on to Merced College, which was nine miles away from my town. And I didn't have a car. So I would go to school with friends and, after school they would leave and I'd stay and I'd practice and I'd have to hitchhike back. And you know, my town's like fifteen hundred people. When I left the migrant camp, I moved to Planada, which is
1: four yeah.
0: five miles away. And uh, yeah, so there I joined the Air Force and kind of changed my whole life.
1: would you uh, would you do in the Air Force?
0: I was a cop. Of all kinds, you know that was uh, always my goal. I, uh, yeah, I know who would have thought?
1: Uh, I, uh, I, I when I walked on to... Uh, got a Chicano cop just walking around, bro. Yeah, yeah,
0: with, with a joint in his hand, right? You know, that yeah, was for uh, real. Uh, That was, uh, but yeah. Uh, growing up, I when I went to college, I, I well one semester, you know, and I just couldn't afford to go no more. I didn't know about grants and scholarships, so therefore I joined the Air Force. But that was my what, law enforcement. And yep. when uh, when there were the Marine recruiter wanted to wanted to get me and my buddy Marshall enlisted in the Marines, and this was in 1972. It's kind of like during the Vietnam War. And I said, man, you know, I don't want to go. <laughs> you know, I mean, I, I want to serve my country, but I don't want to go to Vietnam. And uh, because I had flunked my my physical for the Navy, my my brother was in the Navy, Michael, and and I wanted to get in the Navy, but I jacked up my knee playing baseball, doing a hook slide, and the doctor checked in and it popped us. He said, hey, he says, well, you gotta have surgery," and that kind of bummed me out. And yeah. the Marine recruiter it turned out that he was a Mexican guy. He just found us and and uh, he took me and my buddy Marshall to Castle Air Force Base to try to convince us that that's not the way we wanted to go. And I told him my story, and he's the one that literally sent me instead of going to Fresno where I did my physical there. He sent me to Oakland um, and says, "This don't say nothing about your knee." And I didn't, and I passed and joined the Air Force, and you know, man, it changed my life. You know, and never got his name. So, yeah. you know, I, I kind of like to keep it that way.
1: So, if you never went to another doctor, there might have never been a stitch. And yeah.
0: uh well, it wasn't the doctor; it was the recruiter, the the Marine recruiter, like say the one that he wanted to yeah, me to join the Marines. And when I, he realized that I just wanted to serve my country, I didn't want to go to Vietnam. He's the one that sent me. Yeah. as a marine prospect to oakland california for yeah. my physical and he that's said crazy. Just don't tell him about
1: your niche, yeah it's yeah, crazy to think about how many fighters you've touched you know like that you've changed like the outcome of certain fights have been because of you you know the the lives you've touched and it all was kind of based on not based on but could have been affected by that one decision to go to a different place it's a uh, <laughs> it's, it's crazy how shit like that happens in life. And now I'm curious how you get, you're in the Air Force. How do you get into Muay Thai um, and yeah. end up in Thailand and, you know, like kind of go down that rabbit hole of pain?
0: Yeah, you know, it was great because I always told myself if I went to the Orient, this was during the Bruce Lee era. And I always said, if I went into the Orient, I'd want to study the martial arts. So they sent me to Thailand and uh, I had friends over. were already stationed there like three months before me from my other base uh, in, in South Dakota. And uh, so I get there and they take me to see some Muay Thai fights in the downtown Banchan. And the guy throws a kick, knocks the guy out. <laughs> I said, I'm in. So at the base, they had uh, martial arts classes at the gym for the GIs. It was Taekwondo. Well, Taekwondo, Thailand to me sounds like the same. You know, I didn't know no difference. So uh, I trained with them for about three months. and. And uh, they left and then the Koreans took over and, and they just, they kept that same Taekwondo banner because that's how they were getting paid. But they mm-hmm. transitioned us into a lot of it to the Muay Thai system. And so we used a lot of the Taekwondo, the power kicks, high kicks and all that and, and combated it with the elbows and the knees and all that and turned out pretty good. So I, that whole year I ate, slept and dreamt that. And, and uh, finally years later, I got cruise certified uh, ran into one of my instructors that uh, had moved to England, uh, Master Scan. We trained together in Thailand, and uh, we did a session over there, and he certified me as a crew. And, you know, from there on, I opened up a school of kickboxing and
1: kept going. Uh, that's, that's insane. To just... It's crazy, man. Yeah, yeah. And then... It, it almost kind of seems like that's kind of where the story starts you, you know i mean yeah. like that's kind of like the setup to to kind of how everything started is 100 owning your gym um, yeah
0: well even before that you know when when <laughs> when i got when i got back to the states well i, I left thailand actually I had my first base was from missouri i went to thailand from thailand they stationed me in south dakota and kickboxing was just branch banking you, you know, and, and so I'm, it, it, they have karate tournament on the base, and, and I'm working with this Kaji Kempo, I'm in the bag at the YMCA, just kicking the bag and working on my own, and you guys, the trainer sees me and the other, the head instructor, and we become friends, so I joined a tournament with, uh, with them at the base, and I fought three guys with four kicks. I won the tournament. <laughs> <And> <laughs> one guy says, one guy says, you kick too hard. You know, I, I, everything was points, right? Bam. And yeah. uh, I kicked a little harder than I probably should have, but I, I got them all out. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. And, uh, so, yeah, so, but I got back into, uh, when I left the Air Force, I lived in Oakland. I, I didn't do financials. I worked for R.J. Reynolds Tobacco Company for 20 20- Oh,
1: okay. That's in, what it was. Yeah. In, in the
0: corporate market, right? That's what it so was. I mess that, up every time, so. No, no, that's all right. That's, <laughs> that's why I'm here to correct you, bro.
1: Yeah. And, uh,
0: but that's where I learned my marketing, my sales and marketing skills, right, that got me to where I'm at now, you know, where I've created a brand. But got back into, I, I lived in Oakland, and I got into boxing to improve my, my hands. You know, Muay Thai, a lot is elbows and hands and all mm-hmm. that stuff, and knees and all that. So then I started training amateur boxers and uh, created the first world champ or Golden Glove champ out of King's Gym in Oakland. And I moved to Fairfield, California, the suburbs. And uh, just uh, as I'm working with RJ Reynolds, I'm going into one of my accounts and the guy's downsizing this big building and offered me half of the the building. And uh, with a credit card, Jay <laughs> Rob, I put carpet in there, I put bags in there, I put the mirrors in there. People had already known me as a trainer and I had a grand opening and it was successful from the get go. And so I trained professional fighters, boxers and kickboxers uh, like they do now where they'll come to me, Javier Mendez, I worked with him and Francis Farley and you know Mark Longo. And uh, so I worked with a lot, Dennis Alexio, uh, that was uh, our prime guy, the guy that was a brother and kickboxer with Jean-Claude Van Damme, he was an actual, Kickbox was a badass dude, Mm -hmm. best athlete I ever met until I met MMA guys. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, literally, tremendous, tremendous fight, tremendous. Yeah, they retired his number uh, for baseball and football in high school, and you just don't do that. that's insane! Yeah, he was a bad bad boy, man. uh, So that's yeah. Got into uh, opening up ASK. I promoted fights. I trained. I learned. I was learning to make that transition into learning how to be a cut man, also. And I remember uh i went to a boxing match bone crusher smith fought marvis fraser joe fraser's son in richmond california and this one guy did a good job on cuts and so i went over there after the fight and i say you did a good job i'm trying to learn to be a cut man can you tell me what you did he says f you i'm taking this to my grave and you got to learn like me and he walked away man i felt about this big rub yeah chicken and and from there that just inspired me to not to be like this guy. And yeah. you know, I was telling these guys yesterday, I've done this interview hundreds of times with this story because it, it chiseled what I wanted to be, but I've never thrown his name out. And the guy said, well, you sure? I said, no, that wasn't important. Now I go back to Oakland with Andre Ward, which was the middleweight champ of the world, the retired undefeated. He was from Oakland and we went back up there and now him and his son want to take a picture with me. So he forgot about that moment, but I never did. It inspired me to continue to go and teach, and that's what I do now. My legacy is to to teach and make this game a lot safer, bro.
1: Yeah, and doing a lot of research on you, uh, just like listening to other interviews and stuff. You've always been very gracious of your time, and and one of the things that I found uh, one of like the better qualities in researching you is you the stories that you remember are not. Big stories. You know, like the stories you speak of aren't like these championship bouts at the end and you know, everything like that. It's it's the stories of uh I I believe I remember you I, I don't remember the the fighter, but his father afterwards uh invited you he, Yeah, he invited you over to uh to dinner and you never got that opportunity, but you know, just that simple invite of, you know, opening up a home, one man to another, you know, um I, that speaks volumes to the man that you are to, to kind of bring those type of stories up into it. And you, you carried that into your fight career. Um, I want to kind of get into that in a little bit, um, especially, you know, the, the time that you spend with the fighters and wrapping hands. Um, so let's kind of dive into but that. Let, and... let, me,
0: let, let me add yeah. to this story. This was Carol Parisian. And, and what makes this story so humbling for me is that his father's army? well, they're Armenian, right? And, and of course, I'm Mexican. Very, we're very family oriented. But Carol Parisian fought Drew Fickett, ended up with a nasty cut. And I Manny Gambarian was working with him and, and uh, Keith, can't remember his last name. So they were freaking out. And my job is not to give instructions, but being that at that point, I needed to step in and take care of Carol. And I'm, Carol's looking at the cut and I'm telling him, look, don't worry about the cut, man just stay on, on the stand-up. Finish that last round, He fighting Drew Fickett. He ends up winning the fight, and says, thank you, Stitch, thank you. Months later, I see him at the fight at the MGM with his father, and they're Armenian, very old-school Armenian. And I go and I check on Carol to see how he's doing. And his father says, I want to thank you for taking care of my son. I want to invite you to my house for dinner. And you know, he lives in LA. Uh, and unlikely, but the thought was it was there, and that's that's what made that special.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. It's yeah, especially just to know that if you're ever in a city and that invitation's open, it's, it's very, it's a, it's a warm feeling to know that you have somebody else around you. Um, but yeah, let's kind of dive into, uh, if you don't mind, um, how you get into, you know, kind of like the, uh, the spotlight that blew your name up and put you all over on you know, kind of yeah. like how you met, um, Dana White in the UFC and, you were, you were there on the ground floor to help everything, you know, be built essentially, you know, you were, it was built around, around your hard work and everything. Not just you, but you know, everybody else. Um, and how did that go meeting Dana and, and taking that leap in, in kind of starting into the UFC?
0: Yeah. I had new data before the UFCs, right. And uh, Lorenzo Fertitta at that time was uh, a commissioner. He was on the board for the Nevada state athletic commission and, so, you know, I mean, I'd see Dana in the gym, you know, and uh, he'd be doing pads for a lot of the executives and the housewives and, you know, work with some some fighters, but never really was a A-level type of corner guy like us, a trainer. Uh, but nonetheless, he was there. But he was friends with Lorenzo Fertitta. And, and um, I'm doing a K-1 at the Bellagio. Scott Coker, I used to work with Scott Coker years before uh, strike force and years before uh, Bellator. You know, I've known Scott for many, many years. So... When K-1 came into Las Vegas, he brought me in to be the house cut man. And I see Dana in the audience, and he says, hey, let me have your card. He goes, I'm going to speak to you. I'm going to talk to you. And the uh, next day he calls and says, look, we bought the UFC, and uh, I'd like to see if you're interested in being one of the cut men. At that time, it was only Leon Tabbs, the legendary Leon Tabbs, the godfather of cut men. He was there from day one, the first UFC, and he was the only Cutman. man. And there was a story, I think, him and when Tito fought Frank Shamrock, He had to go to Frank Shamrock before he went to Tito because there was only one cut man and Tito was mad at him for the rest of his life. (laughs) So so Dana was smarter. I got to give Dana credit for seeing the vision that MMA was such a new sport that guys didn't know how to wrap hands. They didn't know how to work cuts. Uh, So he brought me in as the other cut man on the other side. So that formula that you see now with the UFC, that you see with Bellator, PFL, where they bring in professional cutman that was created by leon tabs uh burt watson and myself when we first started in the ufc so now uh that this covid kicked in they're using that same formula in for boxers so i'm working full-time with top rank on that so yeah so that program we put together uh, and it's being used worldwide now
1: yeah and then you also get uh some personal calls i believe the klitschko brothers um hire you to go out to germany and so you're in all their fights. Um, it's not for the, uh, the general population. I know most people will see you you know, as the cut man. They, they recognize you put the Vaseline on. Um, in doing that, you also kind of, you spend some quality, I don't know if I want to say quality, but intimate time with the fighters and wrapping hands. Um, takes you about seven minutes per hand in my, in my, in my research. <laughs> Yeah, I know, man. I, I had to really step it up. I, uh, I, I really respect what you do and, and I appreciate your time. So I wanted to make sure that I, uh, I put some effort into good. this. So, yeah, I mean, so that's about, you know, 15 minutes minimum <laughs> with that fighter beforehand. Um, Kind of walk us through what that's like, you know, that that one-on-one time with the fighter, because I've I've been in those situations, and I've seen fighters. You know, there is no predictability in that situation. Right. Everybody's completely different. So, kind of walk us through your perspective.
0: Yeah, you know, I think Frank Mir, Vitor Belfort said it best, and Frank says, uh, when I see Stitch walking into the dressing room, my stomach just drops because I know it's time to fight, <laughs> right? Uh, and Vitor. Vitor says, when I see Stitch walking into the dressing room, knowing that he's working on the other side, he still brings that calming effect. Right. And uh, so, yeah, that's the way I have to approach it. You know, Rob, I've had guys cry when I'm wrapping their hands. You know, I understand. You know, like Frank says, it's the first step of going into battle. Man, I let them cry and I'll just sit there and I'll support them and finally, you know, give them a hug and I said, man, don't worry about it. I'll take care of you, you know. uh, so those are the moments that are, like, special to me. And you were mentioning the big fights and all that. And I tell guys nowadays, I said, look, I've done hundreds and hundreds of world title fights. It's not even about the fights no more. It's about the people I'm working with, the fighters, the trainers, the person, the things we're talking about now behind the scenes. Yeah. Uh, there's nothing like it, man. These guys, you know it, they're modern-day gladiators. Yeah. You know, but deep inside, they're all babies. And my job is to take care of the baby. Yeah. You know? and And now you're talking about... Uh, Klitsko, uh, I hope you could hear this. So, I'm doing the movie Creed Three, right? And Maurice or their Michael B. Jordan and the directors, they come and ask me because I give them the authenticity. Who do we get? Who do we get to give away the WBC belt, which is the green belt? So the history, I told them. I said, look, it's it was created by Jose Suleiman from Mexico City. It's a green belt, the most prestigious belt. So it has to be given away by a Mexican guy if you there's one guy so i chose the guy to give the belt away and i'm telling uh maurice suleiman is uh, his son mauricio because jose passed away at one of the fights i was doing in dallas and he said well let's let's send the Klitschko's schools a, a picture because we we're talking about vladimir Vitali and they're right in the middle of the war in in the ukraine you know vitale is the mayor and vladimir of course they're all with with Zelensky. and so anyway i hope you could hear this but this is a message that Vladimir sent me, bro, and and it almost made me cry because he's he's right in the heat of the battle. But it's you know, I hope you could hear this. let was see here. Stitch is the man. Oh, hold on. <laughs> my two favorite men, specialist Stitch, with whom I spent so much time talking, and he actually saved my career. Yeah, a lot of different stages. Uh, if Stitch wouldn't be in my corner, I would not make 12 years, big So um, that's, that's so great to see you off And stage is the man. That's Did you get amazing. a chance to hit it? It's crazy,
1: yeah. Huh? Yeah, no, that's amazing. It's it it's crazy when you think about what you do. Because in watching, like you know, just the Creed or you know, like going back to like the Ultimate Fighter, like those over the shoulder shots and stuff, and seeing like those moments and. You know, you feel like you know what you would do in those situations, but you don't know until, until you're there. Um, and then the fighter has that walk. And, you know, that walk is, that that's when it's go time. And at the end of that walk, you're always there, you know, to uh, for the final check-in. And you you always, you know, you're wrapping the, the vest or not wrapping, um, you're putting the Vaseline, you know, on, on the eyes, um, over the eyes, on the cheeks and everything. And then you whisper something to them um are you trying to give like a fatherly type advice or what exactly is or is that something that you prefer to keep between you and the fighter
0: well it's 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 a combination of both but yeah it's something that you know that I, i you know psychology is such a big thing bro you know you could be a good cut man you could be a good coach and all that but unless you know the heart and soul of a fighter uh you're not complete in your in your process of working with these guys you have to understand them you know that even though they're gladiators are babies, right? So yeah, I, I give them that final word of comfort, you know, and and I'll tell them hey, I love you, uh, you know, I got your back, and go out there and kick some ass, and just you know those final words of, of encouragement. And and it's funny because people always ask me that, and and that's you know I never really pay attention to it, but yeah, that's those are the final words that I give them. And I think uh, who was it? Mike Pyle said <laughs> one time he says he got cut. He's a man. When when I see Stitch walking in. I know I'm cut, but I know I'm in good hands, you know? <laughs> so, so, you know, those little moments like that, that's Rob, that's, that's what I live for. It's uh, everything else is secondary. Yeah. You know, you, th- that's, that's not, that is earned, you know? Uh, you were talking about a, a, a real quick story, Lyoto Machida when he beat Rashad Evans. And you oh, remember yeah. his father's very, very shogunish, very Japanese, very proud of himself, right? I go in the dressing room to congratulate Liotto when he won the world title. And his father's sitting there just very proud. And Liotto says in front of his father, says, teach in the ring, you are my father. And the father looks at him and says, just kind of agrees as a man. You know, what an honor. But that's, that's the way it is. You know, I take care of them like they're my children. And that's what I'll tell you. You know, Rob, don't worry. You go out there and fight, man. Take care of you like you're my son you know i i take no shortcuts with anybody i don't care if you're making your debut pro debut amateur i'm gonna take care of you like you're a world champion because you're entitled to that
1: yeah there's been some fights to where i've seen you come in and it almost seems like without you they would get stopped for sure um what's the worst cut that you've had to deal with i know you've millions of them but you know is there any uh ones that stick out in specific where you've had to pull out all the bags of tricks and
0: yeah, there's a, as a matter of fact, I just, I have a friend, Leonard Hosey, that came in from uh, North Dakota. He's leaving today. And uh, I took him by Randy Couture's gym. And he's kind of doing video. And I said, well, look, let me show you that mat up on top of the wall there. That is the bloodiest fight I ever worked. Randy has it in his gym. Jay Haran fought Jonathan Goulet. This was uh, at the Hard Rock Hotel in Las Vegas. And Jonathan, or, uh, yeah, Jonathan, the, uh, glit through a knee and cut jay haran right here cut was about well about this big and it's about this big but it popped that big vein that we have Mm -hmm. and when you pop that vein that's you're not going to stop it you know it's just too big of a blood because you shouted but jay had blood from the top of his head to the bottom of his feet so much blood that it you can smell that iron and it started making me nauseated and at that time, uh, Mark Ratner was the commissioner and the doctors were stitched can you stop it? Yeah, yeah, no problem, I can stop it. Trying to clean them back up and I cover it with Vaseline and it just kinda <laughs> like a damn just kind of came out and you know, that was the bloodiest fight I ever worked, and the ring is uh the mat is up in Medicator's gym. <laughs> so, awesome. so there was nothing I could do, but Jay Haran is uh he's proud of that moment, you know, that it's the bloodiest fight I ever worked.
1: Yeah. Yeah, what exactly are you using? Because it can't be just Vaseline. Yeah, like, that's good do question. you have like a like little tricks that you do, you know, just just you? I know like now you have like your own line of everything. Yeah. Um, but like when it started, did you kind of have to like formulate these things? Because no. I can't see yeah. companies coming out with, you know, like cut cream or anything like that.
0: Well, I, I do represent a cut cream, and I'll tell you about it. But that's after the facts. After yeah, fact. yeah, yeah. Now, I mean, like but, back but the medication in the that you use, that we use in the swab that you put on the cut, that's adrenaline chloride one one thousand, epinephrine. Uh, that's gotten by prescription only. But when you apply it on the cut, what the mechanics is is it closes up the blood vessels, and kind of like getting a hose and squeezing it. So, you know, so you see, when I get on a cut, I'll squeeze it, and I'll get all that excess blood out of the little uh, veins there. And then when I'll put it, it'll drop into it and it'll close up the vessel. So that's one of the medications we use. Uh, avitine and thrombin are coagulants. And uh, Very few people use it because they're expensive. Uh, There's a little gauze pad that I put that's quick aid. It's called quick aid. Uh, It's 100% natural. It's made out of a seaweed base. and You put it on the cut and it literally dehydrates the blood and it stops it from bleeding. So, But a lot of it's technique. No secrets. You know, we we work with the laws of the athletic commissions. And, uh, you know, Uh, some guys and that's why they have commissioners because some guys will try to bring this off the wall stuff that they don't know what they're doing they don't know the functions but somebody told them that it works and it's not fair to the fighters so uh, yeah we have to abide by the rules of the
1: commission yeah I was hoping to talk to you about that with the commission it seems like it did you could be in New York and somebody could get a cut and the fight would be stopped. But if there's a fight in Vegas, you know, it's, the fight would keep going. You'd be able to, to close it up. Um, how do they pick the doctors? Where are these guys coming from? I mean, yeah. like, I, I honestly want to know where the judges come from, too, because I've seen some fights. I have no idea how the hell they're judging those. But, I mean, let's just stick to kind of <laughs> your profession on this. But, yeah, where are they getting these doctors, and how are they qualifying them to be specialists in combat cuts, I guess? I don't, I don't really know how you get it. A- yeah, you
0: know, that's, that's a good question. Very good question. Excellent question. And, and, you know, I have to say, through all the doctors, Nevada has excellent doctors. You know, and when a doctor stops a fight, is when when anybody stops a fighter, referee, the cut man, uh, the doctor, it's when the fighter is at a disadvantage. That's that's the whole key to that. And, uh, you know, because you have blood, doesn't make it a disadvantage, right? Depending on where it's at, if you're cut here, yeah. it might look bad, but there's no disadvantage to the fighter. If it's up on top, it's getting in the eyes and he's wiping it, then that's that's a disadvantage. Uh, so those are the criterias that, that you know, we look at in having a fight continue or not.
1: So, I, as far as I guess the actual doctor themselves, what credentials do they have? I know they're, they're actual doctors, but are you getting what type of doctors coming in?
0: Yeah, there's, you know, the thing I like about the one in Nevada, a lot of them are, are trauma doctors. So they work the ERs and all that. Uh, I did a show in Louisiana one time, and uh, this guy says, uh, well, Stitch, you know, does he need stitches? what do you think? Does he need stitches? You know, he's asking me these questions, right? I said, well, what kind of doctor are you? He says, I'm a cardiologist. He goes, if the guy has a heart attack, I'm okay. I said, but I know nothing about this. So <laughs> yeah, you know, sometimes just cause you're a doctor don't make you good at what you do
1: mm-hmm.
0: right? In, in anything that we do. Uh, but there's some commissioners. That's why after like a big fight, Rob, I'll go in and I'll go meet the doctors personally because there's, there's a lot of times that, uh, where they'll let me go beyond what they would, Somebody that has less experience because of the knowledge that I bring and yeah. the techniques that I bring.
1: Yeah, you know, that's so amazing. I'll,
0: I'll, I'll meet with them and just let them know look, you know, I know when to stop a fight. I know when the fighter's at a disadvantage and I know when I can control something.
1: So. Yeah. Yeah. I know I we got to get you out of here in like the next 10 minutes or so, probably. But uh, I. I would be doing a disservice if I didn't ask. It seems like you're extremely valuable to not only the MMA community, but the boxing community, the combat community in general. And if you're getting cut or wrapping your hands, you're there. Um, You had a very public kind of firing from the UFC and, you know, with (laughs) with Dana White and everything. How exactly did that all end up playing out at the end? Because it seems like you're your stitch you know what i mean (laughs) like you those are your guys you know like most of those guys like stood out just the same way they all are for kane right now you know and like it's how what exactly all ended up with that in the end it it
0: hasn't ended bro you know it's been seven or eight years rob and people are still stopping me and they're (laughs) effing data effing ufc and all this stuff and yeah it it continues man but yeah it um it it was kind of. In fact, I'm in the same chair sitting right here when I got the call. And uh, but for those that don't know, is when the you, we started with USC, they gave us the opportunity to have sponsors, right? So wow. I was making bank. We were all making bank on sponsors. That was a big thing. Fighters were making a lot of money, and you know, without really clarifying anything, they took all the sponsors away from everybody uh, when they went with the Reebok deal, and uh, fighters lost a lot of money you know, and everybody's effing Dana, effing, effing uh Reebok and, and uh, just UFC and just everything was negative. So um, they asked me, John Nash from bloodyelbow.com, never met the guy yet, but he asked me, he said, would you be interested in, in doing an interview of how the Reebok deal affected the cutman? And uh, now I go back to me being the days of a farm worker, you know, when my parents were fighting uh, for the fair practices of farm workers. We didn't have restrooms. My sisters and, and my mother would have to go down the fields up around to go to the restroom. And we used to drink out of the same metal bucket, same tin can. So they always fought for their rights, right? And I figured, you know, if I don't speak up, my parents wouldn't be proud. So the interview was very politically correct. And, uh, but it went viral. <laughs> and, uh, and and everybody's I'm getting messages from support from all I'm the one that stood up and spoke out. Right. And uh, so I'm shopping at Costco with my wife and I get a call from my friends and we're all friends. Right. Before that, uh, uh, Jess and, and Mark called me and what Jess called they say, man, you got time to talk. And I knew, I knew what the conversation was going to be about because I'm getting hundreds of messages. And I said, well, I'm shopping. I'll call me in an hour and I'm sitting right here and I get a phone call and the only thing my buddy Jess says is because, or Mark says is because uh, the interview you did about Reebok, the UFC is not going to use you no more. And bam, that kind of, I expected that. So I said, all right, well, Mark, do me a favor. You tell Dana, I said he ain't got no balls, that he should have called me personally since he's the one that brought me in, right? And that, so I'm getting all these messages, Robin. The first one I read is I respond back to the guy, it's a Twitter. So I want you to be the first to know UFC let me go speaking out about the Reebok deal. Now I got to find a new job. That shit went viral. Bam! (laughs) I I did like 57 interviews in a week, man. Camera crews come to my house. And I mean, it was was insane. And uh, even now, people still stop me. And I mean, it's been years. I was in Dubai, Thanksgiving for a show. One of the Royals comes up to me and shakes my hand, young guy, and uh, thanks me for speaking out, you know? So, yeah, it's been a blessing. You know, that, uh, I'm doing fine. Getting a lot of work. You know, it's never been an issue. Uh, and uh, I'm working, like I said, with a company uh, with a cut cream right now. We just met, that's why I was in town. We just met with some people, uh, title Boxing, about getting it into their, prod, into their line. So, yeah, I'm doing okay, bro. Thank you.
1: Yeah, let's, uh, let's just kind of wrap this up with uh, talking about your, your cut cream line and the CBD, and you got a uh, stitch tape uh as well um along with your book and then uh kind of yeah wrap it up with creed 3 i guess and kind of when we're gonna get to see wrapping up hands again
0: yeah yeah well you know i was supposed to do a show in dubai today uh that was at mayweather up on top of the the platform i was gonna work with badu jack uh i couldn't go because i'm filming the creed 3 movie and they 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 moved it from this week to next week uh but they didn't want me to travel but it turns out that uh, the sheik, the head sheik, the president of the UAE passed away and they go into three days of mourning. So that fight got scratched. So I was going to do another top ranked show on ESPN next uh, Saturday, but Saturday, I got to be in Los Angeles filming my final week of Creed three. Uh, so, uh, June the 11th, I'll be in New York, June the 11th and the 18th, I'll be doing two boxing shows, uh, ESPN. Uh, and then from there, just carry on and carry on. But yeah. Got six weeks worth of work in Creed, Uh, that's coming out November 23rd. So you know I'm real happy. I play myself again, and uh, (laughs) they use me as as uh, as a consultant. So uh, the storyline is great. But yeah, uh, Jay Timms and 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 Keith Evans just met with them uh, with Title Boxing. They created a cream for cuts, and uh, they call me. And I get a lot of offers all the time, bro. They call me and 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 told me about the. The cream its for the healing process, not for preventing cuts. It's done after. So I asked him, well, you know, working with RJ Reynolds Tobacco Company, what proof source do you have? Well, that's why we called you. Well, at that time, I was working with Dave Feldman at the bare knuckle fights. I said, man, these guys all get cut. They sew them up in the dressing room. Uh, Let's go. You know, you, uh, they get cut, you sew them up, you give them the cream and take a picture of them and a week later have them send you a picture back. And the results have been tremendous. Uh, really, they, it has stem cell, of course, CBD for the inflammation, uh, vegetable stem cell for uh, the, the, the healing process of the tissue and collagen and, and right. vitamin D. And So now I told them to make one with Oliveira. So we met with Tidal Boxing. So that's coming along. And, nice. Uh, the, the results have been tremendous. And now we're finding out from boxers in Vegas that they're using it after they spar. You know, they get a little bruised up they're yeah. using it and then the next day kind of clears that up so i have videos of that so yeah it's uh it's coming along bro it's doing pretty good
1: nice all right well uh it has been a pleasure talking to you stitch i uh know we're short on time so go ahead and get you out of here but uh sincerely thank you for your time it's been an honor and we did it we got another episode we got another episode Online, You heard it. You're listening to me now. That means it's done and it's over. I want to give a special shout out to Stitch for coming on. That dude's amazing. And it was pretty cool being able to find out that I'm friends with his son. I don't know how I didn't put that together. Clearly, I'm not that good of friends with his son. But uh, either way, great dude. I want to tell you to go check out CBDIN it.com and check out the uh, stitch premium CBD cut cream. That's his line. Um, That's kind of what he's stepping into now. And I had to give a big shout out to him. So hopefully you can go check that stuff out. And uh, if you got a fight coming up, you're going to want to have that in your corner. Aside from that, I want to give another shout out to the show sponsor, the fight nutritionist as well as apex massage if you have a fight coming up i definitely recommend hitting up both of them to make sure you make weight and you are limber and flexible with massage work on top of that that's going to be the show guys i want to thank you for listening in um for checking everything out uh, for supporting the show for continuing to come back and to listen to me work through this Clearly, I'm not the best podcaster, but I am trying. I feel like I'm trying to get out of my own skin, put a little bit more of my real self out there and really allow you to see who I am as well as see who the person that I'm interviewing is. So with that, I am going to let you enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you for taking your time out to get to know me. Thank you for taking the time to get to know Stitch and hopefully you learned a little bit. So until next time, I bid you adieu.